0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 23, verses 1-12, to and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1-12. to Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their Calactories broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seat in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. We are now beginning a chapter which, in one respect, is the most remarkable in the four Gospels. It contains the last words which the Lord Jesus ever spoke within the walls of the temple. Those last words consist of a withering exposure of the scribes and Pharisees, and a sharp rebuke of their doctrines and practices. Knowing full well that his time on earth was drawing to a close, our Lord no longer keeps back his opinion of the leading teachers of the Jews. Knowing that he would soon leave his followers alone, like sheep among wolves, he warns them plainly against the false shepherds by whom they were surrounded. The whole chapter is a signal example of boldness and faithfulness in denouncing error. It is a striking proof that it is possible for the most loving heart to use the language of stern reproof. Above all, it is a dreadful evidence of the guilt of unfaithful teachers. So long as the world stands, this chapter ought to be a warning and a beacon to all ministers of religion. No sins are so sinful as theirs in the sight of Christ. In the twelve verses which begin the chapter, we see firstly the duty of distinguishing between the office of a false teacher and his example. The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Rightly or wrongly, they occupied the position of the chief public teachers of religion among the Jews. However unworthily they filled their place of authority, their office entitled them to respect. But while their office was respected, their bad lives were not to be copied. And although their teaching was to be adhered to, So long as it was scriptural, it was not to be observed when it contradicted the word of God. To use the words of Brentius, They were to be heard when they taught what Moses taught, but no longer. That such was our Lord's meaning is evident from the whole tenor of the chapter we are reading. False doctrine is there denounced as well as false practice. The duty here placed before us is one of great importance. There is a constant tendency in the human mind to run into extremes. If we do not regard the office of the minister with idolatrous veneration, we are apt to treat it with improper contempt. Against both these extremes, we have need to be on our guard. However much we may disapprove of a minister's practice or descend from his teaching, we must never forget to respect his office. We must show that we can honor the commission whatever we may think of the offices that it holds. The example of Paul on a certain occasion is worthy of notice. I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Acts 23 verse 5. We see secondly in these verses that inconsistency, ostentation, and love of preeminence among professors of religion are especially displeasing to Christ. As to inconsistency, it is remarkable that the very first thing our Lord says of the Pharisees is that they say and do not. They required from others what they themselves did not practice. As to ostentation, our Lord declares that they did all their works to be seen by men. They had their phylacteries or strips of parchment with texts written on them, which many Jews wore in their clothes made of excessive size. They had the borders or fringes of their garments, which Moses instructed the Israelites to wear as a remembrance of God, made an extravagant width, Numbers 15, verse 38. And all this was done to attract notice and to make people think how holy they were. As to love of preeminence, our Lord tells us that the Pharisees loved to have the chief seats given them in public places, and to have flattering titles addressed to them. All these things our Lord holds up to reprobation. Against all, he would have us watch and pray. They are soul-ruining sins. How can you believe who receive glory from one another? John 5.44 Happy would it have been for the church of Christ if this passage had been more deeply pondered and the spirit of it more implicitly obeyed. The Pharisees are not the only people who have imposed austerities on others and affected a sanctity of apparel and loved the praise of man. The annals of church history show that only too many Christians have walked closely in their steps. May we remember this and be wise. It is perfectly possible for a baptized Englishman to be in the spirit of a thorough Pharisee. We see in the third place from these verses that Christians must never give to any man the titles and honors which are due to God alone and to his Christ, we are to call no man father on earth. The rule here laid down must be interpreted with proper scriptural qualification. We are not forbidden to esteem ministers very highly in love for their works sake first thessalonians five thirteen even Paul, one of the humblest saints, called Titus his own son in the faith, and says to the Corinthians. I have begotten you through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4.15. But still, we must be very careful that we do not insensibly give to ministers a place and an honor which do not belong to them. We must never allow them to come between ourselves and Christ. The very best are not infallible. They are not priests who can atone for us. They are not mediators who can undertake to manage our soul's affairs with God. They are men of like passions with ourselves, needing the same cleansing blood and the same renewing spirit, set apart to a high and holy calling, but still, after all, only men. Let us never forget these things. Such cautions are always useful. Human nature would always rather lean on a visible minister than an invisible Christ. We see in the last place that there is no grace which would distinguish the Christian so much as humility. He that would be great in the eyes of Christ must aim at a totally different mark from that of the Pharisees. His aim must be not so much to rule as to serve the church. Well, says Baxter, church greatness consists in being greatly serviceable. The desire of the Pharisee was to receive honor and to be called master. The desire of the Christian must be to do good and to give himself and all that he has to the service of others. Truly, this is a high standard, but a lower one must never content us. The example of our blessed Lord, the direct command of the apostolic epistles, both alike require us to be clothed with humility. 1 Peter 5, 5. Let us seek that blessed grace day by day. No grace is so beautiful, however much despised by the world. No grace is such an evidence of saving faith and true conversion to God. No grace is so often commended by our Lord. After all his sayings, hardly any is so often repeated as that which concludes the passage we have now read. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory.